This is episode number 15 of the We Geeks podcast. We've managed to keep it going for quite a while now. Definitely I'm about, very impressed. about twice as long as our previous failed attempt <laughs> at a podcast. Um, Two failed attempts. But it's episode 15. I'm Nathaniel Dodds, and he's Howard Pinsky, and this is the We Geeks podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Probably the best way to follow us, the best way to keep up with us, Twitter, at least they... Everyone who follows us can see our tweets. I'll put it. I'll put it that way. Uh, I am at Tutvid. That's at T U T V I D, and he is at Ice Flow Studios. You're not going to spell that one out. No. <laughs> and uh, you can also follow the podcast on various social networks, including iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher, which apparently not a lot, a lot of people use. And what's cool about SoundCloud, if you do follow us over there, you can actually comment along as you're listening so if we say something really cool that you really love or really stupid you can comment in line and we'll be able to see it and respond to it and we're almost at a hundred followers on soundcloud so if you're not following us head over to soundcloud.com we geeks give us a follow over there and if you're listening on itunes which we have a lot more subscribers than soundcloud head over to itunes and leave us a review we will be reading reviews every single week unfortunately we haven't had a review since the last podcast so Leave us a nice review or a, a nasty review if you really don't like our podcast. Yeah, it was funny. I was just kind of trolling around SoundCloud a couple days ago, just trying to get a barometer for where we are with the, the number of listens we're getting on the podcast um, because somebody had tweeted out, I believe the podcast is called Picture Monk. Um, oh, he tweeted yeah, I out that. and he, and I, so I listened to the podcast release the episode that he had linked. It was pretty cool. It was like 27 minutes long or something. Not bad. Um, and he, you know, he had a shout out for us that he had he had heard a story. I can't even remember what story it was that he talked about. Um, I'm sorry for that. Um, but anyway, the point was, I was trying to get a, a kind of a good feel for the amount of traffic reading, and I was looking around, and on some of our episodes, we're getting two and three times the number of listens that some big name companies. I mean, like I think New Yorker Magazine has a, a podcast, and they're not really getting all that much listen to it. Um, there's some there's some other people that have you know thousands of followers and they're just really not getting very much in the way of listening interaction. Um, and we're doing pretty well with ours. So I mean big kudos to everyone who listens. Um, we're kicking some butt and it's pretty pretty stinking cool and it's really neat to watch it kind of take off um, from where it was kind of in the infantile stages um, to where it is now. And I know well no I was just going to say I know that like the the way SoundCloud is tracking the listens now is a little bit different and you know Yeah, I was actually uh, about to touch on that and um it, it may seem actually I turned off public stats because I'm not very happy with how SoundCloud is handling this but it may seem if you did see this before I turned off stats that our podcast is completely tanking now but in reality what happened to pod or sorry what happened to SoundCloud is that previously they tracked all sources in their public right. view. So yeah. if we were to release a, a new episode on SoundCloud and because I, ha I use the SoundCloud RSS feed to go to iTunes and Stitcher and all those places, it would track the downloads from iTunes, which we get a lot more listens than we do on SoundCloud. It would mm -hmm. track that in the public stat. So on some of the earlier podcasts, it would show you know 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 views per episode. But now because they only count plays that originated from soundcloud.com or the SoundCloud embedded player, which doesn't get used very often because most of our listens are RSS downloads. It'll only show like 150 or 200 listens, which is a little bit misleading because we get a ton more listens from uh, iTunes and other sources. So I turned that off because 
if, if you're a sponsor or a brand, you're going to be thinking, you know, what is this? So yeah. I'd rather communicate with those people, send them the, the actual reports from the RSS feeds. Um, but yeah, again, like Nathaniel said, thank you so much to everyone who's actually listening and commenting and engaging. It really makes this whole thing worthwhile. Yeah, it's just been, it's been a bit of a build and it's always exciting to watch something start from nothing and turn into something and keep going and going and going and going and going. And what is it? Uh, every overnight success uh, took 10 years to become an overnight success or whatever. I'm very roughly paraphrasing. <laughs> Some fancy um, saying, Rome wasn't built in a day or whatever yeah, it was. exactly. So yeah, no, I thought that was cool. I mean, the only podcast uh, or broadcast I saw for that matter that seemed to be um, kind of at our level, actually it was a little bit past us, was NPR. So National Public Radio. Um, and they were a, a, a bit more than us, but really not what you would think for National Public Radio. Um, but yeah, I mean, to see something like that, that was just, I don't know, it was pretty cool. Yeah, SoundCloud isn't huge for podcasts. Obviously, iTunes is much bigger. But what's interesting mm -hmm. is Spotify just announced that they're going to be having podcasts on Spotify in addition to music and all that stuff. So yeah. it'll be interesting if we can get our stuff on there. I know Spotify is going to be teaming up with Fullscreen, which is the company I work for, as one of the early partners for video and podcasting. We'll get into the, the mm -hmm. Spotify thing a little, bit, a little bit later, but we may be on Spotify one day, which, which would be kind of Right, and it, and it does make sense because they have that whole spoken word genre you know if you like browse around and you look for different moods and different things like that you can you know listen to you know Ernest Hemingway's yada 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 and you know uh, you know all that kind of stuff so I mean it makes sense you'd have podcasts as well because arguably well I don't know I mean audible.com I guess is pretty popular but you know so is iTunes and podcasting and all the different podcast networks that are out there. There's so much going on as far as all that's concerned. Um, it would only make sense to have some kind of podcast wing uh, of uh, Spotify as well. Totally. Yeah, so jumping into the news, and I'm going to start off the show with a little bit of a rant. And this, this kind of bothered me. I saw this, actually my wife tweeted this to me, or not tweeted it, but she sent this over to me earlier today. And there's this artist, and I put the word artist in quotes. His name is Richard Prince, and I hope he doesn't sue me for ranting on him, but he deserves it. Basically, what he's doing, or what he's done recently, is he took people's Instagram photos without their permission. He blew them up, he retouched them a little bit, cleaned them up a little bit, and he's selling them in his gallery for up to $100,000 each. Let me repeat that. He's selling other people's Instagram photos, which, by the way, I don't think Instagram photos are worth anything. But he's selling these things for up to $100,000. And there was this Instagram user by the name of Doe DeRay, or Deary, or I, I'm sorry if I pronounce your name wrong. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But she had absolutely no idea until some people were contacting her. This guy sold her piece, her Instagram photo, for $100,000, and there was a, a post on Facebook, and this, this person said, not sure how I feel about this, and in quotes, artist, Richard Pierce is taking people's Instagram photos and selling them for his quote-unquote artwork at the Frise or Freeze Art Fair here in New York City this weekend, including a shot taken from our good friend at Doe DeRay, um, her account of her dressed as her <clears throat> pigeon... Doll. There's a lot of words I can't pronounce. <laughs> Unfortunately, the captions, credits, and context have been extracted, and neither of us were alerted 
to this image being used in this way. And apparently, this isn't the first time this guy has done sort these sort of things. He's been in several lawsuits in the past, and it just... I mean, to me, it just, it's absolutely disgusting what this guy's doing. And I've, I posted this on Facebook and some people say, you know, this sort of thing happens all the time and there's really not much you can do about it. Someone said, um, con in, in brackets, artist, which got a bunch of likes and just a lot of people saying, you know, hire a lawyer, this, that, and the other thing. But in reality, there's probably not much you can do about it unless you have a, like a really legit lawyer. That's just... It's disgusting, but you know these people get away with this stuff all the time. Yeah, sorry, I was my my sister was texting me there. I got distracted. She's sending me memes of my younger brother that she makes, where he's making bizarre faces. With <laughs> Is he putting them on pit, Instagram? Pit, they might be sold for yeah, hundred thousand right. dollars. Pitifully low quality photos with the digital zoom on the iPhone camera, oh. and uh, you know it's a lot of that kind of you know when when you see Bay talking to another guy kind of stuff. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> Don't even get me started with that word. That word <laughs> Bay. I, is yes that, that word bay is as legitimate as richard prince is an artist oh yeah so anyway about richard prince i one of the things uh, first of all it's like with the photo that you're referencing it seems to be the photo that everybody's talking about um he he basically took the screenshot of the photo with he was like the last person to comment on the image as well. That seemed to be a characteristic of this artwork. And when you say that he's selling them for up to a hundred grand, I think he actually has sold some for like the night in the ninety thousands of dollars yep. range. Um, so it's not just a theoretical. He's he's actually sold some of this stuff. Um, and uh, you know, and it's you know, he's remixing them again. I'm I'm using air quotes because it's not. There's not really that much in the way of remixing, you know. It'll be it's like a really bizarrely cut out. And there's a picture of like a guy standing there uh, in this one picture, and he like you know puts yellow circles over his eyes and his mouth, and cuts out a picture of like a Stratocaster guitar, and it's just sitting there in front of him as if he's holding it, but it's, it's like so obvious that he's not holding it. Um, it's very strange stuff. Um, but you know, artwork is artwork, right? Um, whether or not it's right, whether or not it's legal. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem like it should be legal. Um, it certainly seems like the cool thing to do would be to say, hey, look, I ripped this photo of you off Instagram. You know, sure, you might be ticked at me, but hey, I can give you 10 grand. You know what I mean? Yeah, really. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Something like that would seem to be something that would be a little bit more. And look, you're still keeping whatever. You're keeping whatever. You know, if the person hadn't put the photo up on Instagram and all of that, you wouldn't have it anyway. Um, I know legally. You might not be obliged to do anything depending on what the law is and what you think you're doing, um, but I don't know. It it just doesn't it doesn't feel cool. It doesn't feel right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. I don't think I would be happy if someone took it. And it's not even about selling it for a hundred grand um, because we've had tutorials stolen from from us and people are selling them for five ten bucks. And it just it. it it just feels kind of crappy knowing that somebody took something of yours and without your permission, they're 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 taking it and selling it and they're pocketing all this money essentially for work that you've done. Um, and and I don't, it's it's very difficult to describe because it's not that I I mind helping other people, but it's kind of this hey look I spent a lot of time making that. Um, and I should have the rights first to sell it, and just because I haven't sold it doesn't give you the right to go in and decide hey. I'm going to make some money off of this. Yeah. And it's just, it's a very bizarre situation. And 
I, I, you know, to an extent, I feel bad for this Doe a girl who did get her photo ripped off, and she's just uploading photos, and it's it's kind of a nice photo. It's artistic, and she has nice makeup on. She just uploaded it to Instagram, probably to share with her friends and family or followers, whatever it might be. And then she got, she basically someone sent her a message saying, "Yes, yeah, so, so your photo was sold for ninety thousand dollars by some random guy you don't know or never gave um, permission to use." But my big question: forget the whole. You know, selling the photo for ninety thousand dollars. Forget the legalities of all this. Who the heck is buying this photo for ninety thousand dollars? <laughs> that's my question. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know, that's the the the, the big white sheet of paper with the red dot. You know, and it's selling for you know eight hundred yeah. grand or something. Um, so I, I mean, but but stuff like this isn't isn't real great artwork. You know, and great, depending on what your idea of great artwork is, one of the characteristics of quote unquote great or valuable artwork is the story that comes with it. You know what I mean? Um, the artwork that was purported to be stolen and recovered, and yada, 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 ends up being worth a lot more money than something that's just like, yeah, so and so painted this in their garage, unless it's, you know, pa- Pablo Picasso or something. Um, but even that carries with it the story of this eclectic artistic dude who was pretty weird. And, you know, he, he had these paintings that allegedly represented all of his ex lovers, and, you know, it was the ugliness that he portrayed there, or whatever it was. You know what I mean? Um, so this will probably just make his work worth even more if he's not shut down by some governmental agency, um, which I don't know. I mean, I, th- I feel like he won't be. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a clear cut, you know, you're doing this wrong, illegal, whatever. I mean, we know when we upload our stuff to Instagram, Facebook, whatever, we're sort of surrendering the rights for that instance of the photo or whatever. Um, I think it is to the company though and not to everybody. So I don't know. Maybe there is a, a lawsuit in there. I'm not that's not my field of expertise. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, it's very bizarre, and I hope that something gets resolved. I, you know, obviously a lot of people are going after this guy, but he may just continue to slip under the radar and just keep doing this. I don't know. But it kind of brings up the whole story about, you know, the question: How does a creator these days make any money? Because I don't know if this Doe girl is making money off her stuff. Mm-hmm. But I have had she a did. Lot of people- she did have to interrupt you for a second. She yep. did have like seventeen or eighteen thousand likes on that Instagram photo. So I don't know mm-hmm. if she's if she's somebody that's well known or whatever. Um, but yeah. So I mean, I don't know what kind of branding or money making she was getting from that particular photo. But of course, she's one of a, a number of people this has happened to. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean. If she is getting this, you know, seventeen thousand likes per photo, she sh- probably should be uh, banking off the uh, the amount of views and likes she's getting. But someone actually did email me recently, and he kind of wanted to know what the process is to start making money as a creator. He also does uh, Photoshop tutorials or Illustrator tutorials or some sort of tutorials, but. In general, I would say he's a tech YouTuber, kind of like myself and kind of like you. And he was asking the question, how does someone like us make money? Because he's just getting into it and he kind of wants to start paying the bills. He eventually wants to make a living off of this stuff. And, you know, if this question was asked to me three five, three to five years ago, it would be a very different answer. I would just say, you know, keep make as many videos as you possibly can and the ads will come because back then and you can attest to this we were making some decent money just off youtube advertising alone like you know i probably shouldn't be saying this but i'm going to i was making several thousand dollars per month just on youtube advertisements which is crazy on my photoshop tutorials yeah and but- that and that doesn't also include any 
videos or products you're selling and that also doesn't include advertisements that you have on your actual physical website. Right, that was just YouTube advertisements. Yeah. And then fast forward to today, it's a very different world. First of all, people like us are, you know, the bottom of the barrel. YouTube really doesn't care about people like us anymore. It's hard to, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but it's true. There's also so much more competition. You know, for every every person who's making Photoshop tutorials, there's 50 others who are also making Photoshop tutorials. It's very difficult to compete these days. Plus the ad inventory is being spread out among so many people that the CPM is just so low. So I had to be a little bit real with the guy and I basically said, don't worry about the money. The money's not gonna happen right away. Focus on your content and look at YouTube as a marketing platform for something much bigger. Because these days, unless you're someone like Flurn, uh, you're familiar with Flurn? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're someone like them who's absolutely killing it in the Photoshop training world and you're not going to make any money on YouTube. Yeah, but I, but honestly, there I, I highly doubt they're making uh, a killing on YouTube um, as far as the money is concerned. Like I – with the production that's going into their stuff, I would highly doubt that the money they're making on YouTube even covers the cost of making the content that they're making. Where they're making the bank is just what you said, using YouTube as a marketing platform to drive people to their site where they can buy tutorials and buy much higher quality stuff um, you know, or just stuff that's in addition to the stuff they have on YouTube, which by the way is the way I've always looked at YouTube. I've never yep. looked at YouTube as a means unto itself, as something where I'm just going to take the money primarily because I'm always leery and I've always been leery and Facebook has kind of proved me correct in this regard and YouTube to some extent because they changed their subscription model years ago when Google bought them, um, that I would rather have like a newsletter where I know I'm sending the email to 50,000 people and 50,000 people are getting an email in their inbox. Facebook, I mean we were just talking about this before we went on the air and we talk about it a lot figuring out what's going on with Facebook today or yesterday or whatever. You know, I've had these posts that have done well. I've had these posts that have done well. You know, you've got X number of 50,000 followers. I've got 15,000 followers. Why Why is this percentage seeing something that I post? I mean, we both posted something identical and more people saw it on my page than your page um, or at least I got much more interaction with the food cube thing than right. you did. Uh, but then there's stuff that you'll post where you'll get way more interaction than I'll get. Um, so, you know, uh, there's just it, – it's a very funky uh, – basically what I'm trying to say is when fa Facebook or YouTube, when some, someone like that has control of your audience, you can go away – in a blink, in the blink of an eye, when you have control over your audience, when you're able to get people to come to your website and see your stuff, um, it's just better. Part of the issue is, and it, and an interesting thing to do is go to like trends.google.com. And you can punch in different search terms and just look at how they've performed over like the last 10 years and just punch something in like Photoshop tutorials uh, and web design tutorials or something like that. Photoshop tutorials is way higher than web design tutorials. But you can see up until about 2009, it was doing really well. And right around 2009, between 2009, 2010 or 2010, 2011 maybe, I can't remember the year, it takes a very steep nosedive. And it's about 20% of the people or maybe 20-30% of the people that have been you know, basically, people that be searching for the content we were we were creating, they're just gone. Um, and and what happened to them? Well, we didn't lose thirty percent of the population. I 
I personally think it was it, it dovetails very perfectly with when the iPhone took off, when mobile video really started to take off, when stuff like very short form videos that can be consumed easily on a mobile device took off. People aren't sitting down in front of their computer and consuming all of their rich media that way. So you know, over 50% of people now are consuming the majority of their internet time and media through their mobile device. So, you know, we have this massively shifting landscape where people are using their phones, their iPads, tablets, things like that on the go for all kinds of things they used to use the computer for. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, just creating this content, yeah, like you said, there's a, there is more competition. The CPMs aren't there. But I think a lot of it also is just this changing landscape of who the user is today and what they're doing. And I, and I, I mean, really, it's an important thing to look at no matter the business you're getting into. If you're looking to start a web design firm or a blog yourself or a photography company or whatever, you know, you really have to understand the space you're moving into and, and what makes the people go, what makes the people click, what's going to make people come visit your website rather than the guy up the street, um, you know, and, and how can I make my website more a more attractive uh, destination. Um, and yeah, so that's a little bit of what it is. But yeah, like you said, I, you can't rely on the advertisers. It seems like there needs to be a lot more sponsored content and cons sort of consistent content, um, but trying to put out higher quality stuff than just like, hey, this is a feature of Photoshop. Um, that being said, I do want to create an entire series of videos covering basically every feature in Photoshop and short videos. Um, but that'll be more of like a side project just to have the library of content for people to have access to. And I'll create, you know, longer form, more in-depth, more more like project-based tutorials as like the meat of my website moving forward. But I mean, it's just, it's still just a lot of stuff that I've been throwing around. But yeah, the last five years, there's been a lot of change and a lot that's kind of happened as far as that. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the chart right now. I went to trends.google.com and I typed in Photoshop tutorials. And from 2004 to about 2000 and July 2008, it was just kind of a constant slope downwards mm -hmm. and then from august 2008 to about may 2010 there was actually it started to go up and i'm going to go ahead and just take full credit for that um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know 60 million views on youtube has to do something for photoshop but from may 2010 all the way to about i guess now it's just been an absolute disaster i don't know what the numbers mean i'm hovering over and right so like no it's it's all it's all relative 100 is the highest the traffic has ever been on that chart oh i see it oh, so like if it's a 25 now it's a quarter of what it was at its highest point right so now it's, not, it's 11 right so it's not telling you how many people are searching it but just relative right. to where it had been you know you can see uh, it's it's crazy, but I mean the numbers are there. It's it's a really it's interesting. Con it's especially an interesting Especially considering split. more and more people are are using Photoshop because it's so available these days, and you know Adobe has confirmed that the numbers for people using Photoshop are skyrocketed much higher than before. But people just aren't watching this sort of stuff or not searching for this stuff. And just look on YouTube. Look at content that advertisers are paying attention to, content that sponsors are sponsoring. It's all you know comedy videos or prank videos or 16-year-old British boys who are absolutely adorable. It's not people like us. There's really no money in the sponsor world for people like us, at least not a lot of money for us to make a living. It's all, like we've been saying, premium content. So make a video on YouTube. At the end of the video, let people know you have a new premium course out. And that, again, that's kind of like what you were saying, Flurn does very well. If if I was running Flurn and it was just me getting the same amount of views that Flurn is getting, I would probably be making a living 
on just mm-hmm. YouTube advertising. Yeah. But they have a whole production team. They have people they have to pay. They have social media managers. They they. I'd be surprised if they were making a profit off YouTube stuff right now. But they are making, I know for a fact, they're making a killing off their premium content because I actually, I'm one of their referrals or referees. I don't know what it is. But I have a bunch of their products on my website and a lot of people purchase their products from my website. So, and I'm, I'm sure I'm like a small, small, small percentage of those people. So they must be selling a ton of premium courses. Yeah, no. So, I mean, long story short, it's incredibly fun to do. And it's a mm-hmm. really cool business. And if you're doing it right, it's so much fun. And even if you're not doing it right, as long as you can kind of chill out and, you know, take it like it's a challenge and have fun with the business side of it as well as the creating side of it. Um, I don't know. One of the coolest jobs that that I know of. Um, it's, it's really cool. It's just a fun job. It's fun stuff to do. If you like teaching, it's really cool. Um, and you're helping people in some sort of way. I mean, it's not, you know, like curing cancer or anything, but it is kind of a neat way to be able to help people. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just been a a very changed landscape. Um, and I think a lot of people are still kind of figuring it out and it's sort of whoever figures it out first, you're going to see somebody sort of explode onto the scene. Um, and you know, just, it is what it is, but anyway, and, and it'll, it'll kind of, take its cycle because back in 2009 you can argue that I figured it out or you figured it out and look at us now we're not even like you know one of the top YouTubers anymore so you know there's always going to be change so try to keep up with what's new what's relevant in the technology world whether it's on YouTube or Periscope or whatever it might be and run with it you never know what'll happen yeah so Kind of taking a step back in technology, there was a pretty cool Kickstarter that came out a little while ago for something called the Light Phone. I passed this along to you, Howard, actually. Um, I saw it on CNET initially and uh, then had explored a little bit more on Kickstarter. Basically, it's a phone that's the size of a credit card, a little bit thicker than a credit card. It's about four millimeters thick, um, so still incredibly thin. Um, and it's it looks kind of like a calculator, uh, a much mm-hmm. cooler looking than a calculator, but it sort of is like that with a very small screen. Um, the the numbers, I believe, are letter pressed into uh, the the plastic body, and essentially, it's a, a very simple phone. It's it's just billed as a phone that is thoughtfully simple. And over the past week, it's received about $210,000 in Kickstarter funding at the time of this recording, at least. Um, they were shooting for about $200,000. They got that, and they still have like 35 or 36 days left of funding. So we'll see what happens to it. Uh, the phone, basically, it shows time on a very small display, but it's not a display like you're thinking. It's a very cool like LED lit display. Um, it's not a screen, but it's you'd have to see it to understand what I'm talking about. It's not that old chunky, bizarre digital readout on like, on like a college calculator or anything. Much cooler than that. Um, and it allows you to make calls and and receive calls. Uh, no texting, no internet browsing, no big screen, nothing like that. It's very simple. It's when you want to go out, not be distracted by your phone, not have it you know dinging and binging and ESPN alerts and text messages and tweets and Periscope <laughs> notifications and everything coming through every five minutes. Um, and here, as I say this, I get an ESPN. Uh, notification and two more texts for my sister and it is you know currently 12 27 a.m uh here outside of philadelphia um so very apropos uh but it's cool because this little phone is supposed to work with your existing phone um which will basically allow you to leave the smartphone at home when you go out for who knows you know whatever a night on the town um but you won't miss a call like let's say you're expecting a call from your dad or something you can link this the this little light phone to your iphone so it's sort of like a call 
call forward. So it hits your phone, you don't answer, boom, it shoots it over uh, to the little light phone, which is pretty stinking cool. And it's so small, you can slip it into your wallet. It is, it's the size of like a business card. And just a yeah, I watched the uh, the Kickstarter video, which was interesting, and they actually at one point slipped it right into the wallet, one of the like little back slots in your wallet, and you know there it went. Uh, I I don't know what to think about this thing. You know, it's something not something I would use personally because I cannot. Surprisingly, right now my phone is actually on the other side of the room. I have my Apple Watch, so if any notifications do come in, um, but I cannot be without my phone. There have been times where I've left the house without my phone, and it's like. I don't know what to do. I, even though I'm just going to the grocery store, what if I get lost like driving down the street? It just kind of freaks so, me out. So if I we do. were to do like a hot takes from Howard, it would be like pants or smartphone? It would probably have to be the smartphone. Well, that's you are you are indeed a geek, my friend. At least I can get directions to the store to buy some pants. <laughs> and you could use Apple Pay to pay for them. There you go. <laughs> Burp. Done. Um but it's it's a very interesting concept. I, I obviously have my you know concerns about Kickstarter, which I've talked about in previous podcasts. I'm not going to get into that this time. But I do definitely see a market for something like this for kids, because these days parents want their kids to be in contact with them, which is completely fine. And I've seen a lot of parents give their kids iPhones or Android devices, and you know, when you're around your parents, I think that's a great solution. You can keep that, keep the kids busy, give them their iPhone, give them their Android device. But when they're at school, they shouldn't be using that sort of thing. So if this pairs up with those devices, leave that device at home or leave the device with the parent, give the kid this light phone. So in case of an emergency or just to keep in contact, I think that's a fantastic solution. So not something for me, but if I did have a kid, then, you know, I would definitely get one for that kid and use that as a tool to be in contact with them when they're not around me with their other phone. Right, and because it's so light, I mean, it looks like it's fairly durable. Um, it Obviously, it's tiny. Uh, when you buy it, well, the battery lasts for like 20 days, they say, because you're not, there's no screen. <laughs> there's and you're not, on it. Right, you're not using it for anything. Um, it's supposed to, it, well, it works totally independent of your current cell phone carrier. Uh, it's a GSM cell phone, so it comes loaded with minutes, and then you have to put more minutes onto it as you use them. So it has a SIM card, the phone, you know, the the recharging uh, cord or whatever, and an app that works with your current smartphone to set up like the call forwarding and all of that junk. Um, so I don't know. I mean, for me, it looks it's like a hundred bucks for it. Yeah, like you said, it would be great for like a kid's first phone kind of thing. Yep. Um, I mean, I happen to think there's there's very incredibly detrimental things just having kids sitting around on their phones on social media all day every day well, anyway yeah. it just seems to be a, a horrible horrible you know you might as well get it installed in your mind it's it, you're not even you're not learning you're not becoming I mean, all this talk of being your own person being independent and you're just being sucked into it, whatever that's its own thing um but it does look like a cool option for like a kid's first phone but it also like when i went to the bahamas um, the, the cell reception wasn't incredibly great anyway. So it's not like I could just whip my smartphone out and use it for GPS and stuff like that. I mean, it would have bloated my data plan anyway. Um, so I, you know, I found myself relying on like traditional maps and things like that anyway. Not to say I didn't use the GPS. I did on a few occasions use it. Um, but you know, having a phone like this where you just kind of like, all right, throw it in my back pocket or my front pocket, whatever, and be done with it, it would be cool for something like that. And it's like a hundred bucks. So I don't know. It, it is an interesting idea. Like you said, I don't know that I would actually use it. 
Um, but in theory, I love the idea because I love the idea of being disconnected from my phone. Um, I don't, I do not, I mean, there's times where I'll sit there and think, I want to pull my phone out and check Twitter. And I'll be like, no, you're not doing that right now. You know, you're not going <laughs> to be, your hand. right. There's, there's 12 other people sitting in this little shuttle bus and every single one of them is on your, on their smartphone. I'm going to be the guy who sits here and is not on his smartphone because I'm not going to be the next internet meme. Darn it. <laughs> but yeah, but in reality, you will be the next internet meme because someone will take a picture of you not using your smartphone, looking like a dork, and you know, there you go. Right? Yeah. Or they'll take a picture of me pulling out my light phone, and they'll be like, "What's what's this loser?" They may just sell it on Instagram. <laughs> so anyway, moving on from that, there is this pretty cool thing that I haven't really seen many people talking about. I showed you earlier, Howard, again, before mm -hmm. we started recording, uh, this upstart Russian browser uh, that uh, basically is a stripped-down take on Google Chrome. And Google Chrome is already a pretty lean, pretty stripped-down browser as it is. Um, so I downloaded it. It's called Yandex, Y-A-N-D-E-X, and it's pretty... It's pretty cool. It, they kind of push it or purport it as this very secure browser. Um, it's very simple. There's not really much in the way of buttons or anything like that. It's I would describe it as a very full screen browsing experience. They even put the tabs at the bottom, which I thought would be very weird and I wouldn't like it, but it's actually not that bad. I've downloaded it and been playing with it for a little while. Um, the, the tabs are at the bottom and they stay out of the way because when you're when you're viewing the content usually you're viewing in the top third of the screen anyway so the tabs are kind of down there all the hot keys are the same it dragged my bookmarks right over all the google chrome extensions that it could find it brought right over the big thing i was concerned uh, that would have kept me from even using the browser at all would be if i couldn't get firebug for web development stuff firebug it has that boom it's in there it has the stealth mode which is like uh, an incognito mode on google chrome but allegedly better or something. I don't know. I have done zero side-to-side -side tests to see uh, what exactly would be better about it. Uh, but it's really neat, and it's free, and, oh, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you can go check it out on the website, www.tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 15. That's the number 15. I'll have uh, this article there, and I'll have a link to download the browser. Definitely at least something to check out. Totally free. It's fast. Um, I don't know how much faster than Google Chrome it is, but it's definitely really clean and pretty stinking cool. It, it looks kind of cool. You were showing it to me before we started recording this, and like you said, it's very, very clean, which I absolutely love. I hate buttons, button, buttons that are on the screen when they don't really need to be there. I hate floating things. I just hate clutter on my screen, especially when I'm browsing and reading and doing things on the web. And it looks very clean. Like you said about the incognito mode or whatever they call it, I don't know how it could be better because, you know, is it more private than Google Chrome's incognito mode? I don't understand how that works. But the, the only thing that kind of concerns me is that this is a company that at least I have never heard of. I've never heard of this browser. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure it's perfectly fine. I'm sure there are no security issues with it, but I don't know. I just don't know if I, then again, I don't know if I really trust Google, but I don't know if I would trust this company, this random company with all my browsing history and all this, my, you know, potentially my passwords and my credit card information it looks beautiful. Definitely looks beautiful, but I don't know if I would use it because you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know this company. Yeah, I mean it all looks beautiful except the stupid outer the the very tiny outer glow they decided to put around 
the like close, maximize, minimize buttons in the top corner. That kind of peeves me a little bit. Other than that, looks really cool. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I you know, Google's already farming all of your information and you know, you get your AdSense, your customized AdSense stuff based on everything you've been looking at. So I don't know if I trust any of these companies. I mean, of course you have like the whole Russian black market connection and you know, it's Russia for crying out loud. So we, since the cold war, we've never really trusted them. Um, and arguably maybe not even before that. Um, but no, I mean, overall I would give it like an eight and a half out of 10. I've, I've only used it for a very short period of time because it just, you know, first got mentioned, I think, I don't know, five months ago, six months ago or something, but it just kind of came out recently. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Give it a try. Yeah, I wouldn't like do my online banking through it or anything like that. Mm. Um, but definitely, and I don't even think it beats out Google Chrome because I don't think it's that much better that it'll beat out Google Chrome, but it definitely is going to supplant Firefox as my secondary browser. And I do use two different browsers just because I'm usually logged into so many different accounts and so many different names. Um so it'll it'll definitely. I mean, it's already sitting here in you know my dock. Um, so it it's it's a good it's a good little browser. I give it like an eight and a half out of ten. I like it. I yeah, dig it. It looks interesting. I'll probably definitely try it out, but nothing for personal. You know, no personal information or anything like that. Speaking of Firefox, I hate Firefox. I don't know why. <laughs> I used to use it a long time ago. I'm pretty much primarily Google Chrome, and occasionally I'll use Safari mm -hmm. for whatever it might be. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy with. Chrome. Have you have you had issues with Safari and YouTube? I don't think so. Okay, because I've had issues. I can't upload videos to YouTube if I'm uploading through Safari. I mean, like you, I primarily use Google Chrome. It just hit me. Um, I just thought about it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what it is. But yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The one thing right. I did have issues with in Chrome is they now have a built-in Flash player. I actually had to disable that and install the other Flash player, the regular Flash <laughs> player, because I found the built-in one was incredibly laggy, especially when streaming videos. Um, I'm a huge hockey fan, and I always stream legally, believe it or not. Um, I do stream the you know the, the playoff games and stuff like that, and I, I found it was incredibly laggy using Chrome using the built-in Flash player, so I had to revert to the regular one. But yeah, and and, and NHL has the dumbest, most archaic Flash everything on their website. Oh, they do, it's, it's so, and it's always delayed by like two minutes. It's yeah, terrible. It's bad. Um, so speaking of full browsing experiences, or at least potentially maybe half browsing experience, next month is WWDC, and Apple is rumored to unveil a bunch of different things. And the fanboys are going crazy. Oh, they are. I'm already incredibly excited. Um, they're rumored to introduce iOS 9 and potentially a new iOS for Apple Watch or and obviously um, Mac OS 10 as well, or do they just call it Mac OS now? I don't know. Yeah, I don't but, know. There's a lot of different rumors coming around about the iPad, and there haven't been, I, I, I wouldn't say there's been many major updates to the iPad lately. Of course, there was the iPad Air 2, which is thinner and a little bit faster. It seems like every release is a little bit thinner, a little bit faster. I don't know how much thinner they can get, but there have been a few software-specific features that might come in iOS 9. Specifically, the two that kind of struck me is dual app viewing mode, which I believe the Surface has, and possibly, uh, I know the Samsung devices have it, or at least the bigger Samsung devices, mm -hmm. and also multi-user support, which all I have to say is about time. <laughs> now, of course, they probably had, had to do a lot of things with the processor and increasing hard drive space to make this happen, but there are other ways they can do it with, you know, family sharing and things like that, so one application can live on both user accounts, but it only takes up, you know, one amount of space on the stuff like that. Right. But 
They're also rumoring that there might be a 12-inch iPad with the codename J98 and J99. No one, nobody really knows much detail about this stuff, but it seems like Apple's kind of moving, you know, now that the iPad is kind of slipping, at least in terms of sales, which is kind of natural, but it seems like there might be might have something else up their sleeve. But what's really interesting is in iOS 8, which was announced last year and released last year, they actually had a dual viewing mode, but it was pulled at the last minute, I guess. And some of the developers were actually able to get access to that dual viewing mode. And there's a demo online of how it actually works. Yeah, I'd seen but that. It, it was like, wasn't like a beta version or something, and it was, it was yeah, yeah, it was like a hidden setting in one of the beta versions, and they pulled it for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe the processor wasn't strong enough. I find it hard to believe, or maybe they just wanted something else to add to iOS nine. Um, so that's apparently coming in iOS nine, dual viewing mode, and also multi-user accounts. But there's also the rumor that Apple may be introducing an iPad Pro now. With the, the Surface and the Surface Pro from Microsoft, I think they're at the Surface Pro 3, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm sure a Surface Pro 4 is just around the corner. Yep. I honestly think that Apple needs to have some sort of Pro tablet device to sell to people like myself, sell to people like you, photographers and designers who are on the go. And now I think is the perfect time because now they have the force touch technology, which by the way is incredibly strange to use. When I first use it on my Apple Watch, basically it works by pressure sensitivity and I'm actually doing it right now. I'm pushing my watch in and it's not like multi-touch where you just kind of tap. It actually knows if you're pushing hard and it gives you like this vibe, very slight vibration feedback, which actually feels like you're pushing into the device. It's very strange when you're first using it. But anyway, the point is they have this pro or force touch technology, which in my opinion would mean that Apple can finally support pressure sensitive styluses, mm -hmm. which Myself and you and other artists have been wanting for so long on the iPad, but right now they have these big clunky styluses that are all uh, right. multi-touch and this. It's just, like, it doesn't, it's not a good experience. Yeah, it's like a big bubble rubber tip and you can't do anything. Yeah, that's the one there, you have it. Right, yeah, it's, it's a mess. So I, I do think that now is the time for Apple to release some sort of iPad Pro. The big question is, will it run OS X? Will it run iOS 9? It would have to be it would, a hybrid. It would, it would have to, yeah, maybe a hybrid. I, Windows tried that with Windows 8 and it was abysmal. It was now, cool. with Windows 10, they seem to be kind of separating it out a little bit and, and really kind of getting their act together. My brother actually just bought, well, just a few months ago, bought a Surface Pro, whatever, whatever the latest one was. Um, and I was messing around with it and it's quick, it feels powerful, it folds right up into a tablet. Mm -hmm. It was pretty darn cool. It is pretty uh, decent. Yeah, and it, it was pretty neat because I remember the first time I actually went to an event here in Philly um, and it was something sponsored by Microsoft, which is kind of crazy because they, they don't seem to sponsor much in the way of like creative type events. Um, but they were doing that and they were giving away, they gave away I think two Surface Pros. And I remember sitting there thinking like, really? You know what I mean? Is this really anything worth getting excited about or anything like that. And I just kind of just sat in the back of my mind. And then when my brother got one, I was just messing around with it. And I was, I was pretty impressed. I was not expecting much of anything. After all, it is Microsoft. And we've all heard that, uh, you know, Microsoft works is kind of that, you know, really. Um, uh, but so, you know, it, it, uh, I don't know. It, it, it is pretty cool. But to see something from Apple um, that would have 
not not the uh, not the iOS of the phone or the iOS of the normal iPad, but something closer to the OS that you would get on the desktop or MacBook Pro or a normal MacBook Air, or whatever, um, would be pretty cool. And especially, I mean, with something like a Pro, you should be able to pack in. I mean, if again, if Microsoft is packing this stuff into essentially a tablet. Apple has to have the technology as well. They just have to. I wouldn't believe it. I sure it. hope so. I mean, with and with the Mac Pro, you've got a Mac Pro, right? With the mm-hmm. amount of power you can pack into this little chunk, you know what I mean? It's it's tiny compared to a lot of other things. Um, so they've got to have the technology to create an, an incredible iPad. Oh, they do. And I mean, look at the the new MacBook. I mean, it's it's a very underpowered computer, but the miniaturization that has gone into that thing, if you actually look inside the new MacBook, it's incredible. The majority of it is a battery, basically, and they've done so much work to miniaturize the actual processor and the RAM and that sort of thing, and I really hope that Apple doesn't try to impress the world by making this iPad Pro thinner than a pencil. I really hope they kind of make it a little bit thicker so they can pack all this processing power in there because they have to know, especially considering that Adobe, no, sorry, Microsoft sponsored Adobe Max and they gave everybody a Surface Pro 3. They have to know that there's a market for this sort of thing. I would, in an instant, buy an iPad Pro to put a native version of Photoshop, not like a Photoshop Touch, which we'll get to in a second, Mm. but an actual version of Photoshop on my iPad so I have a pressure-sensitive tablet so when I'm on the go, I can do work and I don't have to worry about like clunky garbage versions of other Right, I mean, or even just being able to take your tablet and, you know, go sit down at the counter and draw on the, you know, like in your kitchen and, and, you know, retouch a photo with a stylus in your hand as if it's a Cintiq. Uh, but in your hands uh, would be incredibly awesome. And and like you just said, right, your, your point about Microsoft sponsoring Adobe Max, here you've got how many how many developers go to Adobe Max and, and people? Oh, there were several thousand. Right. I, I mean, you've, so you've got several thousand of these people who are introduced to this concept. And I think that's the importance is being introduced to the concept. Because remember, before I understood how the Surface Pro worked and how it could work for me, I, I you know, was like, you know, not for me. The moment I got my hands on it and saw what it was like it was wow this could be something pretty feasible you know what i mean um so and certainly if apple does something you've got all these designers who probably already have macs and macbook pros so mac's got to have that ipad pro that not only is the surface pro but also has some kind of syncing ability and something that 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 one more thing to make it special for the people who are already using Mac, for the designers who are really going to use this, you know, you're not going to somebody's not going to buy it to process, you know, uh, spreadsheets on. They're going to, you know, process it to do, you know, wireframing websites and you know, designing, you know, graphic mockups for who knows what, who knows where, for doing digital illustrations and photography and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, and Apple traditionally has been pretty good with the whole syncing technology. You know, they've obviously they had Mobile Me back in the day, which was an absolute disaster. I think Steve Jobs fired the whole team that was behind that disaster. Um, But then they went to iCloud and now they're going to these kits that are on iOS and other devices. And it seems that that whole ecosystem is finally starting to work really well. And that's one reason why I stick with my iPhone and my iPad and my Mac because they all sync incredibly well together. I did switch at one point to an Android device and it just didn't sync with my other devices and I couldn't get used to it. Right, it so becomes, I had to switch back to the right. iPhone. 
it just anything else becomes kind of the square peg in the round hole. It's the you know when yeah. everything fits together, you get your text messages coming through your phone and you can answer them, and it or I'm sorry, text messages coming through your computer and you can answer them to your phone, and you know what I mean. And just stuff like that. Um, yeah, I as, absolutely love that stuff. Right, and as, now that now we're seeing these iOS devices sync with our house, which is crazy. But yeah. you know, there's a huge there's another rumor that iOS nine is going to have a lot more. HomeKit syncability, if that's a word, and they're going to add an app called Home onto your iPhone, which I hate when Apple adds apps onto our phone, especially for things that we may never use. Like, you know, they added an Apple Watch app to the recent update for the iPhone. The majority of iPhone users don't have an Apple Watch app, but guess what? You can't delete that app, which is incredibly frustrating, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I had yeah, I'd seen this article. Uh, well, actually, I'd, I'd come across a few articles about this HomeKit. And by the way, if you don't know what HomeKit is, essentially HomeKit is sort of this um, initiative that Apple's pushing to create this entire connected ecosystem into in which you'll live and move and you know be yourself. Um, so uh, essentially, you know, like the Nest thermostats, right? A thermostat that you mm-hmm. can track and control from your phone as well as right on the wall, digital, all of that kind of thing. Uh, things like, you know, lock and unlock your doors, change your thermostat, you know, uh, controlling lights. There was uh, several years ago, it has to be now, I stumbled across these Wi-Fi LED lights called LiFex. I don't even know if the company's still around. I think they are. Um, and now Philips is doing a similar thing where basically you can sync your lights to like the music on your phone and it'll change colors and pulse with the music. You know, the rooms will automatically light up when you walk into them and shut off when you walk out of them. You can turn lights on and off once you've left the house, when you're in the house, all of this kind of stuff. Um, you know, all being controlled from your own little personal hub or control hub, uh, i.e. your iPhone. Um, so, and yeah, this is what you're saying where the, the additional iOS 9 rumor point to this home app where Apple's going to sort of bring all these chickens home to, to roost a little bit. Um, and it's really, really cool, uh, the amount of power that you'll have. And just the idea of this kind of environment is kind of neat. Um, it's kind of a cool concept and it, it's been around for a few years, so it's neat to see somebody kind of doing something about it. So Apple kind of, you know, stepping up and doing this is really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, and this were, this would be also where something like the, I, I watch the Apple watch would play into it very well. Uh, something like, you know, tracking your heartbeat and being able to automatically adjust things based on that, let's say. Um, but the, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this because up until now there are a lot of smart home devices, but they don't really sync with very much. But now that, you know, the Apple Watch is available and other smart watches are available, I would love to see all of this stuff kind of sync together. And I just bought a home a few months ago. So I have this place I can start putting these smart devices like the Nest in or smart lights or smart garages or smart whatever, smart toilets, I don't know. Um, But I would love to just be able to look at my Apple Watch and start my oven that's downstairs in the kitchen or change the lights with my voice or things like that. And it seems like Apple's starting to pay attention to this sort thing they did announce HomeKit. i think it was last year during ios yeah. 8 or wwzc last year mm-hmm. and it didn't really take off because developers didn't i mean obviously it takes time to create these devices it's not going to just like appear because apple has a home kit but now that developers have been working on this stuff now that they have the software available to them hopefully this stuff starts sinking a little bit better and i do think that next month at wwdc we're going to see 
hopefully the future of smart home devices. But, you know, we'll see. I'm optimistic, but I'm also a little bit cautious at the same time. Right. I mean, I think you need you need the devices and you need the network that they connect to. And then somehow right. you need to make it affordable and educate people as far as, hey, look, this is what it can do. You know, you can wake up in the morning and the iWatch, you know, detects you're awake, right? Or you put it on in the morning, whatever, however people handle that. Um, wear it all night or put it on in the morning and it detects you wake up and boom, your shower turns on. You know what I mean? So by the time you get into the shower with your clothes, whatever you need, you're ready to jump into the shower and you know what I mean? Just like a little stuff like that where you sort of begin this process of automation. All all this technology is making our lives more fast paced, not less. So, you know, adding kind of these little hacks, these little shortcuts, you save 20 seconds a day over the course of your life. That's a lot of savings, um, things like that. So I don't know. It, it, it's really, really neat and it's really cool. It's still pretty expensive if you were to trick out an entire house and, you know, completely. I mean, these these Wi-Fi light bulbs are 40 bucks a piece or whatever it is. So, right. you know, but then it, again, they do last like about 20 years. Right. They're all LED. Yeah, true. Um, but, you know, still, it's it's pretty expensive to just go and say, hey, I'm going to outfit my house with all this stuff. But, you know, it's really neat and I think is legitimately useful. I mean, if we want to talk about an iPad being useful, you know, you can make the argument that you can get get along without an iPad. A lot of this kind of smart home stuff, um, while, yeah, I guess you could get along without it, certainly has a a much higher immediate practicality level than an iPhone ever would have. Yeah, totally. And the, the amount of devices that we're going to start seeing is going to be pretty mu- much endless. Like, you know, the shower, like you mentioned, or toilets or smart device or smart garages, um, speakers around your house. And we already have speakers around the house that are kind of smart and sync with our phones. And one app that is available on some speakers is Spotify. And actually, Spotify was in the news recently. And they're kind of moving away. Well, not necessarily moving away, but in addition to music they're also starting to add video and podcasts and other different sources of audio things for your ears to their service and actually we use spotify here we have the free service we haven't upgraded to the paid service yet but we're going to after apple announces their music service next month just to kind of see which one is which um which one is better um, but now Spotify is going to be releasing videos and podcasts. It does seem like it's going to be very curated. So it's not like, you know, myself or you will be able to just kind of go on there and throw our videos on there. But actually, in fact, full screen, the company I work for will be partnering directly up with Spotify. So some of our content will be on there, but it's not going to be like, you know, just Joe Bob, who's a random full screen YouTuber. He won't be able to upload his videos to Spotify because it, it is still a premium service, kind of like the music that's on Spotify now. It's very curated, but it's interesting to see Spotify along with other companies, you know, like Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of different companies. They're trying to get into this video and podcast world because video is so huge now. And I do think to an extent, a lot of it's kind of pushed along by the advertisers because video advertising is much bigger than music advertising. But so many companies are getting into video stuff now. Yeah, it's crazy. I uh, I was telling you earlier. I I still the the feature hasn't rolled out on either my I Spotify just updated on my iPhone six yesterday, and 
after this update was announced. I, there's still no video on it. Um, I haven't been able to find the video on my desktop app either. So I'm assuming it's like you had you mentioned, maybe it's just rolling out um, and it just hasn't gotten everybody yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems like Spotify is trying to round themselves up a little bit and become a little bit more of a, you know, all things to everybody. I mean, not not all things to everybody, but a little bit more in, in that direction uh, with video. Um yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. I think it'll be interesting to see it. I know, yeah, like you said, they've cut deals with a lot of kind of major media places or more major media places. Um, that being said, does somebody who's listening to music on Spotify and paying for it do they care about getting ESPN updates or you know Entertainment Network video clips of you know X Y Z Kardashian girl doing this or that stupid thing uh, today? Uh, I would delete Spotify instantly <laughs> if Kim Kardashian popped up on there. But I'm sure they would have. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't been able to use it because it haven't rolled out on my end. But I'm sure they have like different sections and different areas for videos and podcasts. And I right. know, I know, I did hear they're doing a lot with playlists. That depending on mm-hmm. the day or the time of the day, the playlist will change. And another feature I think they are rolling out is if you're running, it would actually change the song based on the pace that you're running, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so I'm I, sure they're, they're thinking of all these things. Right, and in that I have that update or something similar okay. to that because yeah. I, I opened Spotify this morning and it's like, oh, Thursday, here's some great Thursday morning playlists. Then by the afternoon, all the playlists had changed, like suggested playlists. They'd all changed. Then, yeah, I went running and all of a sudden it's like workout music kind of thing. Um, now I have just some playlists that I've set up that I use typically. Um, and then this evening, actually, right before we got on, when I was looking for the video again to see if it had come through, then it was all of a sudden evening stuff like driving you home or getting ready for bed, things like that. Um, so it, it is that kind of stuff is really neat. But that goes back to that whole automation process, right? Where it, your your devices sort of start to learn who you are, a little bit about your life and where you are, and all that kind of stuff. Really neat. Anyway. Moving on, Panasonic, a new Panasonic camera, uh, the G7, really cool. Uh, we were actually weren't even going to talk about it, but um, we figured we're going to throw it in there because we haven't talked about too much camera stuff this week, and this looks like it's a pretty cool camera. It's $800 for this camera without a lens. It's about $1,100, $1,200 with one of the kit lenses, which kit lenses are usually not that great, but these look like they're okay kit lenses, but there's a lot of different lenses. It, it is a micro four-thirds camera, uh, the sensor, so it's a 16-megapixel live MOS, micro four-thirds sensor. Um, it's got a Venus Engine 9 image processor. Uh, we all know what that is naturally. Um, Do it we? Ha- it ha- <laughs> No, no, at least I don't. Um, it has an OLED viewfinder, which is pretty cool. Three inch free angle touchscreen. And I'm going to get mm, back like to that, that in a second. It has built in Wi Fi connectivity. I'm going to get to the big thing here at the end because I'm assuming you're looking at this with me, Howard. Uh, up to eight frames shooting, uh, eight frames a second shooting with autofocus, iOS that goes up to 25,600, which is great. And a lot of these mirrorless cameras have amazing ISO and amazing low light capability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The focusing system sometimes can, sometimes can be wonky, but I obviously haven't used this G7, so I don't know. Um, and it has this DFD autofocus system and 4K photo mode. But, and the big thing is, it has 4K Ultra HD video recording at 24 frames per second or 30 frames per second which is very excited right which is super 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 cool because here we have a camera for $800 shooting 4k video up to 30 frames per second this isn't just oh you can get 12 frames per second kind of nonsense but not only that 
Um, going back to the free angle touchscreen, this is a touchscreen that flips out and turns around. So if you're doing video blogging, all of a sudden now you have this mirrorless Micro Four Thirds camera and Micro Four Thirds. There are some amazing and Panasonic as well. I think it's called the GH4 is an incredible Micro Four Thirds video camera. It is an amazing video camera um, and it's this Micro Four Thirds sensor as well. It's not your standard full frame DSLR sensor. But having this free angle touch screen where you can basically flip the screen out and see yourself. I mean, just imagine sticking this on a tripod or a little gorilla pod in front of you and holding it out while you're walking around. You can throw a shotgun mic on top of it and all of a sudden you have a 4K video blogging, self video blogging setup for $1,500. When, I mean, we just talked about that Canon, what was it, XC10, which started at $2,500. So something really kind of exciting and really pretty cool. Uh, something definitely that I'm going to look at. I had actually been looking at a Canon 70D um, because of the flip-out screen. Now, the 70D has, you touch the screen and you can refocus the lens on the camera, which is really neat. Um, but I had thought about using it just as like a video blogging. Uh, not that I want to do video blogs, but I would like to do sort of video blog style tutorial videos where I'm getting myself a lot more involved, whether or not that's during photo shoots or brainstorming and sketching and things like that that I'm doing with different projects that I would be doing. Um, but this camera would give me a flip out touch screen. I don't know what the, the autofocusing is, uh, whether or not this DFD autofocus system include is like something where it's like a touch screen autofocus. I don't know. I don't necessarily need, I mean, it is a free angle touch screen. So I don't know if that is going to include touch screen focusing. It would be amazing if it did, but to be able to shoot 4k video for less than a thousand dollars, um, obviously you still need to get a lens for it, but getting a camera that shoots 4k for less than a grand is huge. It's yeah, that's what makes me very excited about this camera. I've never used a Panasonic camera. I've used their microwaves. I've used their razors, but never one of their cameras. But they, they have pretty good video cameras. I, I have heard they're pretty decent. And I would, if I were to get this camera, I would get it specifically for the 4K video because I have my Canon 6D, which I use for my photos, and I have a bunch of lenses for that. Um, the only thing with the Panasonic, like you mentioned, you have to buy lenses and... And I don't think they're like Sony where you can get an adapter and use your Canon lenses, right? They have their I don't, proprietary I mean, I, lenses. I, they, they do have their proprietary lenses. Sony does too, though. Um, there, there, would have to be, there would have to be an adapter. I wouldn't believe there's not an adapter. What you might not get with an adapter, let's say there is touchscreen focusing. Remember, all the electronics right. are carried from the body into the lens. And a lot of times adapters can, can sometimes foul up that electrical connection. However, you do still need autofocus. So maybe uh, you know it might be a $100 adapter. If so, still... You get the whole, you know, get the whole kit and caboodle for less than a grand, and you can work with your Canon lenses. And remember, it is a micro four thirds sensor, so it's not your full frame. So you would want probably a thirty or thirty five, probably thirty five millimeter lens uh, to shoot your video with. Um, but I mean, Sigma has some great like eighteen to thirty or eighteen to thirty five kind of lenses for again under a thousand bucks, the like eight hundred bucks or something, and even less. They've got some three and four hundred dollar lenses that are really great for DSLR style video. Um, you know, if you could plug one of those things into this Panasonic and, you know, shoot some wide angle stuff, you have the micro four thirds, it's going to zoom in a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty excited about it. it, it I am too. It, I've never, again, I've never used Panasonic cameras, but I, I am definitely interested in this thing and maybe I'll rent it. I do. Um, I have used lens rentals before. So when it is available, maybe I'll rent it for a week just to kind of feel it out, see what the video's like. And, uh, yeah, and maybe at some point we can start reviewing cameras on this uh, podcast. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be cool. 
Yeah. Um, now, once you take these pictures with this uh, with this device, it does have Wi-Fi capability, so you can sync it with your other devices, whether it be your phone or your computer yeah, which or your by, iPad. Which, by the way, every DSLR and mirrorless camera from here on out should have Wi-Fi, and I think most do. Um, even the newer Nikon and Canons are getting this Wi-Fi connectivity built in, but... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's definitely a nice feature. And what's really cool is a lot of our other devices, like our iPads, are starting to get these applications that are much more powerful. And of course, with the, you know the Surface Pro 3 and potentially an iPad Pro coming out, and even the iPad Air 2, we have these applications that we're able to edit these photos that we can sync directly from our camera. And today, well, at least until today, or at least until the end of the year, Photoshop had, or Adobe had Photoshop Touch available on the iPad and Android devices, I believe. But that's not going to be a thing anymore. Towards the end of the year, they're going to be getting rid of Photoshop Touch, but they're going to be replacing it with something that they're codenaming Project Riggle. Is that how to pronounce it? Rigel? I, I, Riggle? I don't, I'm not sure. I was looking around it's for a, a pronunciation. Riggle sounds like something the Teletubbies would say. Uh, or tell it whatever maybe. you know what I mean, but I don't, I don't know. know. It might R I G E L I Rigel maybe, but let that, us know how you yeah. pronounce. I'm sure they mentioned. I did watch the video, but I didn't really pay attention to how Brian said it. So Brian O'Neill Hughes from Adobe, who I've spoken to several times that I've met several times, amazing guy. He demoed this project Riggle. I'm gonna call it Riggle because it's funny, um, and it's basically it's moving towards a native Photoshop app on the iPad. And it, it was apparently demoed on the iPad Air 2. Mm-hmm. And he was editing 50 megapixel photos directly on this thing. And he was using content. He was using technology like content-aware fill and content-aware healing and things like that. And content-aware move. And I, I mean, they had different names, but essentially it was the content-aware technology. And it was making, I don't think this was edited. It was making these edits Wow, it was making these edits like incredibly quickly on mm. an iPad Air, basically. Yeah, and it's it's incredible to see what kind of technology and what kind of editing you're able to do on these mobile devices, and you compare this or pair this with Wi-Fi capable cameras. Soon you'll be able to take a photo instantly because I absolutely hate when people are taking the photos with the iPad. Don't do it. So you'll be able to take a photo with this Panasonic G7, instantly sync it over to your iPad edit out things that you want, share it to social media, and it's just, that's the kind of technology and syncing that we need to see. Yeah, and the for the Photoshop Touch app, so they're, they're just ending development on it, and they're ripping it out of the iTunes store, uh, I believe it was in the Google Play store, things like that. So they're dumping it from that. So if you have the app and you use it every day, you can still have it, and it'll still work. Right. Um, it's just they're just ending development. So I saw there were some people commenting online that they were, oh, I use this app every day. I'm, you know, I'm losing it now. You're not. It's not like that. It's not just going to disappear from your phone one day. Uh, so that's that's first. But I mean, I remember when it first came out. I was managing the Photoshop user group here in Philly, and we had this small event for it. It rolled out on Android devices first. In fact, we had to go get an Android tablet to even have the event and demo the stuff. Um, and it was just. I don't know. For me, very, very underwhelming, and it never seemed to change. It never, you know, you like even, even to even like today, Photoshop Touch. You can't work on a photo that's larger than twelve megapixels. Eh, 
You know, you're limited the number of layers you can have. There's a limit. And I understand on a computer, technically there is too, because eventually your computer just can't handle the file anymore. But it was something like 16 or 24 layers. Like it was a crazy, you know, number of layers. Um, so it was stuff like that. And it was just weird. It was like learning an entirely new application in some respects. Uh, it just seemed to limp out of the gate. Then they sort of like stopped developing and building it up on the Android. I don't know why. And they focused on iPad. I never jumped on. It was like 10 bucks to buy it in the app store. Never, never got into it. I just, there's, I have no use for a, a Photoshop touch app unless like we talked about earlier, unless it's something I can get on a like flagship state-of-the-art iPad Pro that I can take and I can sit on my couch or sit at my, you know, kitchen counter with a stylus in one hand and the tablet on the counter in my other hand and do legitimate professional work on that tablet. Anything less than that, I'm not, number one, I'm not paying $10 for an app that I can slap some cheesy looking filters, you know, and say, ooh, look, this photo is great because I did it on a tablet. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just the harsh world we live in. Um, but nobody should care, right? Because so what if you created it on a tablet? It's, you know, it, here today and gone tomorrow. So, I mean, I think it's a good move from Adobe to can it. Hopefully this Project Wriggle, I'll adopt that moniker with you, Howard. <laughs> Hopefully this Project Wriggle is better. It's, you know, super secret project, whatever. Um, and it looks like, like you said from the video, it looks like it's going to be way better than Photoshop Touch. Um, and if it can work with these larger files and work like a, a, a real legitimate version of Photoshop, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I could use. That would, you know, I got rid of my iPad about six months ago. I just wasn't using it. I, I mean, here's what I used it for. It was a big digital clock sitting on my desk. I literally never used it outside of that. If something like this were to happen, I would actually do something like that because I could be out on a commercial shoot and during lunch break, we could, I could start processing, you know, comps and, you know, the good photos for the client while we're sitting there eating. Say, hey, we can start retouching this. Look, I can show you. I can clean up those flyaway hairs. You can stop screaming at the hairstylist. Or we can go ahead, look what we can do with this lighting, right? Or explain to the client why we need to change locations if we need to change location or something. You know, here, we're not getting the dynamic range we need. Whatever it is. Having stuff like that is, would be really great. So there's got to be a future for Photoshop and mobile devices, but we're not even close. Well, maybe we're getting closer to it, but Photoshop Touch was nowhere near close to it. And I knew it from the first time I saw it. It was just, it wasn't right. It wasn't, it, it, I, you could tell it was the kind of thing that the majority of people were going to look at, download, use a handful of times and probably never use again, right? I mean, there's just some things you look at them and you know that's what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, it was Adobe's kind of first entry into the mobile world, and they were experimenting, and back then the technology, the iPads, they weren't very strong, so they couldn't do much with, but it's it's very interesting to see these 50 megapixel files on, you know, being edited directly on an iPad. I kind of wonder what the file size are of these 50 megapixel files. Are they DNGs? Are they RAW files, JPEGs? Are they stored in the Creative Cloud? Because I would imagine... It would probably be, you know, if it's a 50 megapixel file, it's probably at least 50 megabytes each. Yeah, maybe? I mean, it, yeah, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, you know, probably closer you, to 75, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, if you start throwing a bunch of these on the iPad, you're going to fill up space very quickly. So it's, I have to assume, and a lot of people aren't going to like this, but I have to assume there's going to be a lot of integration with the Creative Cloud. Right, there would have to be. What Honestly, what I'd be a little bit more interested in, I was doing some retouching this afternoon, and my finished files when I'm retouching are anywhere from about 900 megs, so right around a gigabyte, to upwards of two gigabytes of photo. Mm -hmm. 
what's that going to be like working with that PSD on this iPad Pro or on one of these mobile devices? Can they handle it? Because that's, that's what I need. That's what I need. If you expect me to use it, I'm willing to pay for it if it's there, if it's going to if it's gonna make things easier. But that's really what I would need. I would want something that can be a monster, a beast. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, really cool stuff. I'm glad they got rid of Photoshop Touch, though. It was garbage. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, moving on. I've got a question actually from Instagram. It's the only question I'm going to do this week. Um, but I figured, you know, since it's Instagram, I'll hit this question. Um, and it was a pretty good question as well. So this is from Scorpio 1188 I took a break from design and have been working out of the field. What would you recommend as the best way to build up a portfolio to get back in? Hashtag we geeks. Oh, by the way, you guys have been doing a great job with this podcast. I listen every week, which is rare for me since all my other podcast subscriptions are video. Keep it up. Thanks, man. Really appreciate uh, the kind words. It's super cool of you. Um, taking a break from designing, getting uh, working out of the field and trying to get back in, not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, a lot of times it can be a good thing because you sort of have this fresh start. Uh, you're optimistic. You're not downtrodden uh, by the the industry. The, the first thing, the absolute first thing that I would recommend is get a contract. Get some kind of contract that you can – at least something as simple as my name, your name, the client, here's the scope of work, here's the, the things that we agree to do and, and detail as much as you can, logo design. Okay, I agree to produce six comps. You're going to choose a comp that you like and there's three rounds of revisions and I'm going to do that for $350. 50% deposit is required up front before any work begins. Something as simple as that. A couple reasons I say that you should do this even before any of the, you know, building the portfolio. If you get work because of your portfolio and you don't have a contract, all you're going to get is clients who are trying to work you over and you're going to get extraordinarily frustrated, extremely frustrated. So just having something written out on a sheet of paper, I've talked about this a number of times before, something as simple as a scope of work so you and your client understand what you're doing. So you know what you're doing, and so the client knows what to expect from you. Extremely important. Extremely important. It will help you keep clients, and it will help you – it'll help you – any friends you're doing work for, they'll still be friends at the end of the day as well because everybody understands what they're getting into, how much money they're paying, all of that. That's a huge thing. So uh, what would you recommend is the best way to build a portfolio up to get back into it? Honestly, do cheap work. Don't do free work. Do work inexpensively and the way that I would get the work is I would target local small businesses and find things they need. Go to the restaurant. You might not be able to convince them to do a total rebranding because that involves things like changing the logo on their sign and all of this kind of thing. But hey, can I redesign your website for 350 bucks? Can I redesign your menu for 100 bucks? Can I redesign that brochure flyer that you're mailing out to everyone in the neighborhood for 100 bucks? Things like that and bring back work that's great. Um, you know, and, and, and when you're doing lower budget work, you can work a lot of stuff in that you like. Um, and, and I would just be clear, look, I'm getting back into graphic design. I'm willing to do it at a super cut rate. Um, you know, I just want to basically do this to build my portfolio. I want to deliver great work for you. Um, and you know, that'll give you the ability to sort of be able to freelance, no pun intended, but sort of freelance with the work a little bit and have a little bit more creative freedom because you're not working with, you know, the big hospital in the city that has a very strict brand uh, style sheet that you're living by. 
Yeah, and I would kind of bounce off everything that Nathaniel said. And what I'll also add is, and we've spoken about this several times, I think, in the past, make sure you're documenting all of your work. So if you are designing a menu for your local pizza parlor or whatever it might be, make sure you're, you're you know, not just showing the final result in your portfolio. Make sure you're showing the first result and the second and the third and the fourth. And maybe if there were different revisions of each of those, show them all because employers, especially, you know, larger employers, they love to see how you got to the final result. Showing just one piece is, you know, it's great, whatever. But showing, you know, how you started from a sketch, maybe on a napkin, and you developed into a, a wireframe on your computer, and then you chose what colors you chose, how you brainstormed that, and then finally the final result, that can go a long way. Yeah, and that's actually a great point, Howard, because, and yeah, we have talked about that a few times. Um, it, it The web is personal, and it, it gives you a little piece of you. Nobody cares about that logo you created for that other company a year and a half ago. We don't care. But if you show us the process, a little bit of you creating mm-hmm. the logo, all of a sudden there's a little it's, – it's way more compelling. Not only that, and this just popped into my mind, but this also would be prime bloggable material. So when you create your website, make sure you create a blog. And when you cr- finish these jobs, it could be something as simple as, well, how am I going to create a story out of designing this logo? Well, sketches. You know, Start with your sketches. Take an iPhone photo. Here, These are my initial, ske- initial sketches. Here's what I turned it into on, on the computer. This was my first round of comps. Sent these off to the client. We talked about revisions. This was my second round of comps. And you're sort of building this entire anatomy of how a logo is designed by you. Uh, and do that for a year. Post something every two weeks for a year. Uh, not only could you potentially drum up a lot of support just by people who are interested in seeing your work, but from a local SEO standpoint, if you target it as, let's say you're from Philadelphia, you know, Philadelphia logo designer creates, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, Google's going to realize all this stuff from this Philadelphia logo designer are coming out through this blog and you're going to start showing up when somebody punches into Google, Philadelphia logo designer. You know, uh, good creative Philadelphia logo designer. Anyone who's searching for a local logo designer in your area or go with, you know, like the closest big city or something, depending on where you live, um, it'll really help with your just your search engine optimization in general. So it'll, it'll lend that element of personality that Howard was talking about. And it'll also lend this very real technical SEO side of things. And if you really want to delve into SEO, there's a ton of other stuff you could potentially do with articles like that. If you just post a blog post saying, I did this logo for, you know, yahoo.com, people are gonna be like, oh, great. You know, it's a logo. And you said you created it for him. Big whoop de doo Yes, and stories and blogs and, you know, the process can go such a long way. And I want to actually throw out a challenge to you guys who are listening. I don't expect anyone to actually do this, but go to a restaurant. I do. I do. You expect it? Okay. I expect it. So go to a restaurant and specifically go to a restaurant with, you know, not a great logo or not a great menu. Sit down, have a meal. And while you're eating the meal, take a picture with your iPhone of the menu or the logo that isn't that great grab one of the napkins and sketch out your thought process or your concept for a better logo or a better menu. Document that. Go home, create a wireframe of what, you know, a basic sketch on your computer, a digital sketch of the napkin or the design on the napkin. Progress into more of a shaded sketch and then the final result. And I want to see that because that's something that as a potential employer, I would absolutely love and that, that would make me hire you over someone who just throws a logo at me, even if it's a little bit better. Being able to see that process from 
napkin all the way to final uh, final product Mm -hmm. is just priceless. Yeah, and even if your sketching skills aren't great, I mean, number one, your sketching skills aren't going to get better by not sketching. Um, And it, it, it... you're still able to convey the process. If you worry about, like Howard, if we worry about not being able to shoot 4K and therefore we're not going to create any content, we're never going to get to the point where we can get a 4K camera because we're not creating content. You have to create content with the tools you have and and use your skill, your eye, your ability to tell a story, to tell the story with the tools you have. All this stuff, you know, your sketch pad, the, the ability you have to draw, the camera you're using to photograph it, all that stuff is just tools. Tell a story and then, you know, share the story on your blog. I and mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And people are, if it's compelling, um, people will be compelled and they'll start to follow you. They'll, they'll want to know more about you, um, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, just tell good stories. Definitely. And that will probably just about do it for our story. Um, this was the 15th episode of the We Geeks podcast. We oh. are putting a hold. What was a, that? a long one it was. It was a long one. We're at a one hour and 22 minutes of raw footage or raw whatever this is um we are putting a hold on the gift cards at the moment because we are lacking sponsors and we are lacking patreon support we're basically lacking money eventually we'll get some more money and we'll start throwing more um, gift cards at you guys but keep submitting your questions uh through twitter i'm at iceflow studios nathaniel's at tutfid use the hashtag we geeks you can also do it on instagram or facebook or youtube or wherever the heck you're listening to this thing yeah, it's and Instagram at Tutvid, by the way. Yes, and I think my Instagram is at Howard Pinsky. But or even or even at Snapchat. You can follow me on Snapchat. I'm Tutvid.com. I just got rid of my old Snapchat because it was my old photography name, and I don't even use that old photography name, so I just completely got rid of it. And t- somebody else had taken Tutvid, but you can use a period. So, well, Tutvid.com. Oh, I just I, I feel like I have to explain to people that it's not the word dot. It's Tutvid period <laughs> com, as though you're typing in the website Tutvid.com. Hmm. Um, and you I can, can't get into Snapchat. I haven't. Uh, it's just maybe I'm too old. I don't know. I might get into more periscoping because that's kind of cool for like a quick mm-hmm. sit down and talk with your fans or talk with your whoever's answer a few questions. Um, but yeah. Make sure to share this podcast with all your friends. I'm sure you have some friends who are in, is into design or photography or tech or whatever it might be. If you don't want to, if you can't contribute on Patreon, just share it. It helps tremendously. Yeah, I, th- I think, and I think we've had a, a, a fair amount of sharing. I mean, because of the, I mean, the way the traffic's been growing. So it, you know, whoever's sharing it, they're doing a good job with it. Um, but obviously, the more shares, the better. Yeah, the podcast is definitely growing, which is it's, it's fantastic. And eventually, we'll, we'll get to the point where we're able to get sponsors so we can even though sponsors are annoying it allows us to give back to you guys because that's really what we want to do we want to give back to you guys for listening so we want to throw gift cards at your faces so keep sharing it the more you share it the more sponsors will be interested the more money we'll get the more we can give back to you guys so you know that'll do it la da that's it guys thanks for listening to this one and you'll hear from us next week yep see you next week bye